we are a people that are longing for change. Even those of us that don't like change know that something is off. We know that, that something is up, that, that something is not right here on earth. The Bible calls this feeling that we all have that we don't like to talk about a groaning. It says this in Romans chapter 8. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Well, this week as we study the book of Revelation, the, gra- the last great book in, in, in this great story of, of God, we're going to find out exactly what we, along with all of creation, have been groaning for. It's a revolution. It's a revolution. It, it, it's an outright revolution. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the revelation, revolution that is yet to come. Join me in a word of prayer, if you don't mind. Father, we uh, come before you this morning celebrating you, lifting you up, thinking about what we call last days, which will really be the first days of eternity, the first days we experience what life was meant to be like, living in your presence, living in the presence of the tree of life, Seeing you face to face. We have seen but a poor reflection to this point. We have known just a little. But a day is coming when we will know fully. When we will see clearly and we say yes Jesus, yes. Holy Spirit, we want to pause and invite you to come and to take your place in our church. We step back and ask you to come and to fill our pulpit now and to be our teacher and to be our guide. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would exalt the name of Jesus and that Jesus, as you were lifted up, that you would draw every heart that is here closer to yourself, that you would transform us and change us from the inside out and that we would leave looking more like you than when we came in. Jesus, we ask all these things in your holy, powerful, and precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's begin with a recap, shall we? There are five stories within the great story of God. And the first story that we studied together a long time ago, it was 30 weeks ago, was the story of creation. And it goes something like this. In the upper story, God creates the world of the lower story. His vision is to come down and to be with us in a beautiful garden. The first two people reject God's vision, and they are escorted from paradise. Their decision to disobey God introduces sin into the human race and keeps us from community with God. But at this moment, God gives us a promise, and he launches a plan to get us back. The rest of the Bible is God's story of how he kept that promise and made it possible for us to enter into a loving relationship with him. Now that was Genesis 1 through 11. Genesis 12, all the way through the book of Malachi, we called the story of Israel, and it goes something like this. God builds a brand new nation called Israel. 
Through this nation, he will reveal his presence, power, and plan to get us back. Every story of Israel points to the first coming of Jesus, the one who will provide the way back to God. And then we studied the Gospels, the story of Jesus. Jesus leaves the upper story to come down into our lower story to be with us and to provide the way for us to be made right with God. Through faith in Christ's work on the cross, we can now overturn the curse of sin brought on by Adam's choice and have an intimate, life-giving relationship with God. And that brought us from the book of Acts all the way through all of the epistles to what we call the story of the church, or the age of the church. This is what we found there. Everyone that comes into a relationship with God through faith in Christ belongs to the community that God is building, the church. The church is commissioned to be the presence of Christ in the lower story, telling his story by the way that we live and the words that we speak. The church points people to the second coming of Christ when he will return to restore God's original vision. Friends, that's the age we live in now. Right? We live in the age, or, or in this part of the story, called the church. In this age, Jesus has died, he has conquered death, he has ascended into heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of the Father in glory, and we await his return. There are some things we need to confess about this age of the church, aren't there? Right? Though we are alive in Christ, we still die at least physically. Though the enemy has been defeated, doesn't always feel that way, does it? And that creates a conflict within us. Because we know that God is right, and we know that God's word is true, and we know that God is good, yet life down here hurts. We feel this tug, and so inwardly we groan. We groan because we know what we have been promised and we know that what we are experiencing seems to be far from that promise. And so our spirits groan. And if you're here today and you've ever felt that way, I have good news for you. Yes, even more good news, right? The good news, of course, is that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son uh, to, to live the perfect life that you couldn't, to die on the cross in your place. And anyone who, who believes in him, just as Jesus conquered death, will one day conquer death and live in the presence of God, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. And you say, can the news really get better than that? I say, yes. Believe it or not, it can. There is more good news. The more good news I speak of is, is this. A revolution is coming. An overthrow of all that we know and have experienced in this world. A revolution, by definition, is a sudden, radical, or complete change. It is an overthrow of one ruler or government and a substitution of another. And that is what is promised in the fifth and final part of the story. The fifth and final story within the story. And this is what it is about. One day God will create a new earth and a new garden and once again will come down to be with us. And all who place their faith in Christ in this life will be eternal residents in this life to come. It's a big deal. It's a big deal, and I want to talk about it this morning. Four things I want to share with you about this revolution that is to come in the book of Revelation. Here's the first thing I want you to understand this morning, is that when this revolution comes, everything will be changed. Everything will be changed. Listen, all of this, 
All of this governance that we've accepted, this governance of evil and sin and, and death, where, where, where it seems to reign here on earth, all of that is going to change. The devil, the prince of, of this world, is going to be overthrown once and for all. Jesus initially came in humility, it says in Philippians 2. Being the very nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he did this, of course. He had to do this to defeat sin and death. Okay? But when Jesus returns, it will be a very different coming. When Jesus returns, his second coming, we will see something entirely different. We will see a warrior, not a servant. We will see a warrior that is coming to battle, and he's coming to battle to defeat Satan once and for all. Revelation 19, 11 through 16 says this. I'm on uh, page 466 of the story. Again, Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16. John sees this prophecy, says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And everything will change. The governance that we know, that we have accepted, this governance where sin and death seem to rule, where, where we call the prince of this world the devil himself, all of that will be overthrown. It's the first thing we need to understand as we study the book of Revelation. Everything is going to change. Second thing we need to understand is that everything will be made new. One way to say the first point, that everything will be changed, is to say that all the old will pass away. But it's not just that all the old will pass away. Then Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. It's not just that the old will be gone, but it's that the new will, will come. And according to the Bible, all of that, that old is going to be replaced with new, imperishable, unable to grow old stuff. That sounds good to me. Unable to grow old stuff. That's what's to come. Right? Revelation 21 says there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth and there will be a new Jerusalem. Literally, heaven on earth is how the Bible would describe it. It is huge. It is majestic. 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles tight, it, it, high. It, it's lighted by the glory of God Himself, decorated by the most precious stones and metals you can imagine. And there, in the center of that place, we find the Father, God. Sitting on his throne. There we find the Son. The Lamb of God. The angels are at the gates. Here we find the, the river and the tree of life. And all of the old is gone. There's no more death. There's no more mourning. There's no more pain. All of the old is gone. Behold, everything is new. That's not all that is new. It's not just creation that's new. The Bible says that we're going to be new too. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians if you don't mind. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read starting in verse 35. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 starting in verse 35. It says, But someone may ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon has another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It will be raised a spiritual body. Creation will be new. Our bodies will be new. Hallelujah. Amen. Dan Heilig's going to be in the second service and I like to joke that he's wearing my resurrection body. Okay, I love him. I get a little, little man crush. I'm just saying, he's wearing my resurrection body. He needs to, needs to get out of that sucker. It's not just creation. It's not just our bodies that are going to be made new. Look at this. We're also going to have a new understanding, the Bible says. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Just turn back a couple pages in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 9. It says, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, and I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Who here has ever longed or asked the question of God, why? God, why? God, why? And the Bible says, in that day, when this revolution comes, everything will be fully known. Wow. Wow. What an overthrow. (laughs) Everything will be changed. Everything will be made new. Third thing I want you to see about this revolution we read about in the book of Revelation. Everything will revolve around Jesus. Everything will revolve around Jesus. Maybe we should have seen this coming. After all, he is the central figure of the story, right? Everything that we have read about, everything from from the nation of Israel, from the beginning, uh, there in the book of Genesis, from the garden, when God says one is coming who's going to crush the head of the serpent, and then we get to the nation of Israel, every story points to Jesus. Then we have the story of Jesus. He's fulfilling all of the prophecy. He's becoming a sacrifice for us, right? And and then we have the church age, and who are they proclaiming? How, how, How are they receiving the Holy Spirit? Only by believing 
in the name of Jesus. Maybe we should have seen it, it coming here in the story. I mean, after all, Paul did proclaim in Colossians 1.17, right, that he's before all things and in him all things are held together. Maybe we should have seen the centrality in that when you think of, of things being held together. There must be someone or something inside that is holding everything down, that's holding everything together, that is truly the glue. And, and, and when we get to Revelation, we find that this glue must be Christ. As John looks to heaven, as he looks to this new earth, he sees something crazy. In the center of the new earth is heaven. And in the center of heaven sits a throne. And on the throne, in the center of heaven, sits God himself. And in the hand of God himself, who sits on the throne in the center of heaven, in the new earth, is a scroll. And, and as he looks, he sees that, that God is saying, God who's sitting in the very center of, of the new earth, in the center of the new heaven, on the throne that's in the center of all these things, is holding a scroll. And he says, who is worthy to open the scroll? And, and John looks around, and there is no one worthy to be found. And John begins to weep, right? Revelation 5.5. 5. Then, then one of the elders said to me, though, don't weep. See? See? You, you can see John there. They're weeping, maybe, maybe prostrate on, on the ground. And, and it's as if the elder wakes him and said, Do not weep. See, see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. There in the very center of heaven sits God on his throne and in his, in his hand is a scroll that no one can open except Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, the conquering King of kings. And we see that all of the plans of God have always revolved around Jesus. And that should mean something to us. It should mean as much to us as it meant to the original hearers. As it meant to John as he wrote down these words, as it meant to the people in the churches that first received this letter, it means that Rome was not the center of the earth. It means that Rome's ruler was not the one in charge. No, God is the one who sits on the throne. God is the one who is in control. Rome was not in control of the world. God was, and God still is today. It's not Washington, D.C. It is not North Korea. It is not Satan, and it's not even self. It is God who sits on the throne, and in His hand, He holds a scroll that only Jesus can open. And it all revolves, all the plans of God revolve around Jesus Christ. He holds everything together. Last thing I'll share with you. You guys may get out early today. You say, after we've preached through the whole Bible, pastor, we should. <laughs> it's fine. Last point. As we find in the book of Revelation, everyone will give account. Everyone will give account. I want you to hear the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 12. He says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Paul agrees in Romans chapter 14. He says, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And you say, whoa, I don't know if I'm ready for that revolution yet, Pastor. 
Peter agrees. 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And of course, that is what we see in the book of Revelation. Jesus comes again. He causes a revolution, an overthrow of the prince of this world. And all of creation must stand before him. I'm I'm in the book of Revelation chapter 20, if you want to turn with me. Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11. We're going to read through 15. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There will be division. According to the word of God, there will be separation. The sheep of God from the goats. Those meant for heaven... And those bound for hell. And the difference between the destinations all come down to whether or not you have believed this story. And you have received its central figure. Jesus Christ. That's how the story concludes. Now listen. These events in Revelation, I have more good news They haven't happened yet. Isn't that good news? It's not too late. You may be here and say, man, I haven't done that. I haven't believed in Jesus. I definitely haven't received the central figure of this story. I've just kind of been on the edges, kind of taking it in. It's okay. There's still time for now. It's not too late. It also means for those of us that have received Jesus... That we live in the age where we have a role to play. This is part of our story now. This age. This thing that Jesus told us to do when he said, hey, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the thing we're supposed to be about right now. Because this end is coming. Because this division will happen. Because this judgment will not be ceased. And so our story is not over yet either. So I'm going to close with this. It's just one last question after 31 weeks, and I know I've asked you plenty along the way. Here's the last question. Ready? What will you do with the story? What will you do with it? It's a question you have to ponder. It's a question you have to think about. What will you do with the story? Okay? Okay? One last time, I'm going to give you homework for this story. Just two things. Here's the first. For anyone that has not, I would challenge you to believe the story. To believe the story. 
How do I do that, Pastor? Well, I, I think it's just like you believe in anything else. <laughs> right? How, how, do, how do you believe in it? It's not that you always see it. Those of you that are married, you know, you, you, you believe that your wife loves you or that your husband loves you. You, you believe that you guys are going to make it even though sometimes it doesn't look like you are. Right? You believe your grandkids are going to grow up and they're going to have an impact on the world even though sometimes they drive you crazy and wear you out. Right? You believe the best in your children, even though you've often seen the worst. What is belief? Belief is this unseen thing deep in our gut where we just know. Where we just know that it's true, that it's going to happen. It's a thing called faith is what it is. Faith is that thing that you see in a child who leaps off a, off a dresser or a bed into the father's arms who wasn't even looking as they cry out, Daddy, mid-jump. And faith is how we come into the kingdom of God and become a part of the story of God. You say, I, I don't know that I can do that. Well, the Bible says you've got to. And so I say to you, like I say to my daughter, go ahead, jump. I'll catch you, Right? That's what God says. God says, jump, I will catch you. Listen, God has done the unthinkable for you. He has chased after you even though you have rejected him. He has chased after you even though you have scorned him. He has chased after you even though, like Peter, you have denied him time and time and time again. He has chased after you and chased after you and chased after you. And he has provided a way for your sins, and we are all sinners, he's provided a way that your sins do not have to count against you. He's actually lived the perfect life that you couldn't, and he's given it to you as a gift in his son Jesus. And he says, if you will just believe in this, I'll count his life for your sake. That is the story that we've studied to this point. The question is, will you believe it? Now, believing in my book is not just head knowledge. Rather, it is a whole knowledge. It's not something that just affects my, 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 my mind, but it's something that affects my being. And so we, we often add the word receive to the end of that. Believe and receive. Receive means that I believe to the point that I will fully rest in it. If I had a chair up here, I would look at the chair and say, I'd grab this chair back here and I'd say, you know what, I, I believe in this chair. I see it's got four legs. I think it was built in 1972, uh, reupholstered not long ago. And, uh, and I, I believe this thing is a little creaky, by the way. Okay, it's got some wiggle. I believe that this is a chair. I believe that it's got four legs, and I believe that I could sit in it. And I'm going to keep standing. You go, well, you don't really believe that that chair is a chair and can hold you, do you? And that's right. Many people I know say that I believe in Jesus. I believe that he lived and I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that. I, I believe it with all my heart. And yet, through their belief, they have never, not one time, ever fully trusted and sat down in faith in Christ. Salvation is only found when you sit down in your belief and in your faith. And so this morning, I would just say to you, when I say believe the story, I, I truly mean sit down in your belief, in your faith of Christ, okay? Maybe there's somebody here that needs to do that. Last thing I would say to you is uh, be a part of the story. Can I ask you a very loving but pointed question? Will you permit me? 
I said I was only going to ask one more question. I just, this just popped into my head. Can I ask you one more loving but pointed question? I, I need the permission. I'm not going to say it otherwise. Here, okay. All right. If you're permitting it, let's, let's make it a, an us question instead of a you question. What are we doing? What are we doing? Are we living like we believe in this story? I mean, I'm just being honest. Are we? If we look at our lives, if we look at how we spend our time, if we look at the way that we act, if we look at the things that we say, if we look at the lost people that we pass every day, caught up in our own world, focused on the inward instead of the outward, just what are we doing? The good news is it's not too late. It is not too late. You still have breath in your lungs by the grace of God. By the grace of God. Okay? Be a part of the story. Start living intentionally. On purpose. Thinking about people that you can impact. Okay? That's what it means to be a part of the story. Um, Coming up in our church life, you'll see some different things happening. Different things happening. One of the things that we're going to try to do, we have seen how attractional uh, that the story was, I think in large part because we were covering the whole uh, story of God. I think the other part of it is that we had kind of, it wasn't, hey, we're doing Luke for two years. It's like we got 30, 31 weeks, we're going to ask you to jump on board. Uh, one of the things you'll see this summer and, and going into next year is we're going to try to teach the Bible in chunks that allow you to consistently invite people to join you here. Just, just invite them to join you kind of in uh, this story of God. And so when we kick off the next school year, we'll be doing a study on the kingdom of God. And, and, and that'll take up X amount of weeks. It'll be, I mean, you'll know when we get there, it'll be 12 weeks or something like that. or be about three months. And, and, and it'll be, you know, here's beginning and here's end. And then we'll jump into another one. And, and you'll always know what we're going to do. And we're going to try to do that intentionally because we want you to do a better job of inviting people to join you inviting people to come in to hear about the goodness of God, all right? We, we think that's the first step of evangelism. I'm not asking you to go out and, and, and share the Roman road yet, okay? All right? Some, some of you are like, I ain't doing that. I lo- I, I, Ed's like, I will cut down somebody's trees, and when they ask me why, I lo- why I'm doing this for them, then, I, then I, I will tell them because God loves you. I mean, that's what he does. And, and, and then he'll share the good news. But if, if I were going to go, hey, Ed, come with me, we're going to go knock on some stranger's door, right? That's not... It's not high on the list. That's what I'm saying. It's not high on the list. It's not high on most people's list, right? (laughs) It's low on the list. Some people, I I, I heard one woman say this. She said, you know, I did some evangelism training. I did some evangelism training, and then we had to go out, and we had to practice it, and they had set it up. So we went out to this house, and we knocked on the door, and the church had called and told them we were coming, and she said it was the worst thing ever. I failed miserably, and I felt like I was the worst Christian on the face of the planet. Never wanted to share Christ again. Listen, I get it. We don't have to go there. We don't have to go there. But we've got to become focused on other people. We've got to start investing in their lives. We've got to start bringing them along with us so that they too can believe in this great story of God. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for loving us. Your word is good. It is true. It is right. Lord, I want to pray this morning that if there is anyone here 
that has not had the opportunity to sit down in their faith and to believe in you that today would be the day of their salvation. Today would be the day of their salvation. Holy Spirit, for those of us that are here that are Christians, that aren't necessarily killing it when it comes to living out the Great Commission, I pray that that question might haunt us tonight, this week, this month, this year. What are we doing? Man, what are we doing? Holy Spirit, have your way with us right here, right now. In your name we pray, amen. I'm just going to ask you to keep your heads bowed for just one second. And uh, I'm just going to ask lovingly, if there's somebody here that has never put their belief in Jesus Christ as Savior, if there's anybody here that's never done that, would you just quietly raise your hand where you are? No, there's nobody looking around. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Anybody that has never received Jesus and needs to, and close us in prayer. Father, be glorified. Help us to live this story as if we know that we know that we know it is true because we do. Use us as an instrument of change in this community as we seek to love people, even people that are hard to love. Seek to be your hands and your feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.